game. You don't play to just play it. We've done studies, you know. 60% of the time, it works. Every time. Hello and welcome to the Inside the Rams podcast brought to you by the Southern California News Group. I'm your host, Ryan Karchi, and it is officially, finally, the opening day of the 2018 NFL season. Now, the Rams won't start until Monday night, but to get you ready for all things Rams this season, joined by beat writer Rich Hammond. Rich, how excited are you to not be watching preseason football this week? Oh my goodness, uh, yeah, it feels like parole, actually, to, uh, to be done with that, and uh, if I feel that way and you feel that way, I can only imagine how the players feel, so uh, everybody is excited to get to this regular season. Is there anything in particular you're looking forward to? I know I've kind of had, you know, thinking this morning just about football finally being here, uh, got a lot of things in mind, but what's something you're looking forward to most with the Rams? I'm looking forward to seeing how the offense evolves, and it's actually something I'm, I'm writing about today. You know, everybody everybody looked at last year, and oh my goodness, you know, the Rams scored all these points and all these yards. You know what? They're going to have change, and I, I think Sean McVay knows it, and Jared Goff knows it. They can't just roll out the same offense that they had last year, because opponents have been studying that offense now for, you know, nine months since, since the end of the of last season, so... I'm looking forward to seeing some of the new wrinkles, uh, how they utilize guys in different roles, uh, how they utilize Brandon Cooks, I think is going to be very intriguing, and how Todd Gurley evolves. Uh, Again, I I don't think you can use him exactly the same way they used him last year, even though he was so highly effective. I think you have to transition that a little bit and and find new sneaky ways to use him so so that uh, they're not as predictable uh, as they might be otherwise. So looking forward to seeing what Sean McVay has up his sleeve. I, I know he's probably been working every single day since that uh, January playoff game uh, to come up with new stuff. So curious to see how it looks on the field. Sean McVay hasn't slept in like four days, guaranteed. <laughs> right. You know what was great is just, you know, he, he went through this, this Aaron Donald thing where he was kind of playing cat and mouse with us reporters, you know, and then as soon as Aaron Donald signed, he just shut it down completely. Like, he just went into, you know, Raiders mode, game, just not even caring about Aaron Donald anymore. It was just, it was hilarious to watch the transition just in, in one day's time. So, yeah, he's, he's totally locked in and uh, probably pacing the floor somewhere in Thousand Oaks right now. I get it. I mean, after the saga they went through with Aaron Donald, I, I'd feel the same. I think I would snap, too, at some point. Uh, <laughs> I will say, uh, since you bring up Aaron Donald, he's one guy I'm most looking forward to, and not just him, but the the pair of him and Indomitian Sue. I, I don't actually know how offenses are going to deal with that. I can't think of a of a time in in my years of watching the NFL that two of the two best interior rushers in the entire league are playing next to each other. Like we haven't even really seen that in practice. I don't really know what it's going to look like. So I'm personally just excited to see that even this weekend, uh, just knowing what the potential is there. I I don't think it's crazy to think they could have, you know, 20 to 25 sacks, which is wild. I I don't know that that's ever been done in NFL history. So that is definitely something I'm looking forward to. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, there's there's some concern about the linebackers and and I've expressed it too. A lot of us have, and and I get that. But I, I think, people don't understand how strong they are going to be up front and and don't forget about michael brockers yeah i I know you don't but but a lot of people do just because of those other two guys but they they, you talk about how they're going to have to manage those three guys and who you're going to double team and and all that 
And, uh, you know, there's some talent there at linebacker when you talk about Samson Navicom and, and whoever's going to play on the other side, Matt Longacre, I guess. Um, it, it, I don't care who you are, those linebackers, there's going to be some opportunities just because those those five offensive linemen, the tight end, whoever, uh, running back, are, are going to be so worried about those three guys up front that there is there are going to be some opportunities for those linebackers. And I, I'm really curious to see how that looks and exactly what you said, just how they manage those guys and, and how you try to block them and the different schemes and all of that. I, I, I'm really intrigued uh, to see exactly what that looks like. Before we, you know, truly get into the nuts and bolts of the roster and, and talking about the future, let's talk about what just happened. Uh, we've mentioned his name already, Aaron Donald. Uh, you may have heard he signed a six-year, $135 million contract. He was, for the briefest of moments, the highest paid defensive player in the history of the NFL. Um, Rich, besides, you know, just being happy that you never have to talk about this again, what was your first reaction when you heard about this deal? Yeah, I, I think it seemed about right. Uh, the question to me was, was the length of it. And, uh, you know, if you include this year, then, then you're talking about seven years. Now, of course, you know, the way that the money is, is shifted around, they, they could get out of that probably in about four years and, and not have a real significant, um, you know, uh, financial hit at that point. Uh, but he's getting a lot of guaranteed money. Um, it seemed about right to me. Everybody knew he was going to be north of $20 million, that he was going to be the highest-paid defensive player in history. Um, everything else at that point seemed to be kind of like, you know, details. Uh, they were very important details and very expensive details. Uh, but I, I think in the end, it, it fell pretty much where we, we thought it was going to fall. Um, I, I think, you know, from what Les Snead said, they started to gain that confidence that something could get done right around that trip to Baltimore. So right around the second week of August where they started to feel like okay this can get done and I think from there there was there was a little bit less pressure uh, because they didn't really need Aaron Donald in training camp they really didn't need him in the preseason Aaron didn't need to be there he was doing fine on his own in Pittsburgh so I, I think you saw that confidence start to build over the last two weeks and uh, to, to where they kind of knew that, that this would get done and, and probably would get done uh, you know right at the end of the preseason there so a lot of angst a lot of worry a lot of questions being asked but you know in the end it got done pretty much when it should have got done and and it got done at the number that really, I think, makes sense. I mean, you're talking about an astronomical number, yeah. <laughs> obviously, for a defensive player. But uh, I really think, given the given the dynamics and, and given the talent that, that Aaron Donald has, um, I, I think it came in pretty much where I expected it to. Yeah, and if you if you were to take all the rumors at face value, I mean, which you probably shouldn't, uh, I'll say out front, but there was talk of him wanting $25 million. Uh, per year, if that's the case, twenty-two and a half million. I I agree with you. I I just I think it's an incredibly reasonable number given the impact on the game that Aaron Donald has. And the good news about you know I I know you mentioned the the length of the contract. Interior rushers don't actually break down uh, as quickly as as other players on defense. So you know that's obviously Aaron Donald might not be as quick at the end of his contract as he is now. But I think it's pretty reasonable to assume that Aaron Donald will be very good through the entire length of his contract. And once you get to the end of that contract, what we always forget is that we're setting new precedents in the NFL every single season. By the end of that contract, it's going to be the 15th largest contract uh, for a defensive player in the league. 
And then it'll be a huge bargain because assuming, like I said, that he'll still keep up the similar efficiency. Um, I don't know. It seems like a win-win to me. And I think I think it's worth mentioning uh, or worth giving a little bit of credit here to the Rams just for the simple fact that they didn't make this whole situation weird. There weren't leaks from either side, really. Uh, the Rams were shut down the entire time. They clearly weren't trying to use their leverage against Donald, you know, through different sources where other, you know, NFL front offices have, have definitely made that a priority. Uh, all we have to do is look at Pittsburgh and Oakland and just see how poorly things could have gone this off season. I mean, Le'Veon Bell is about to set out week one. Khalil Mack was traded to the bears. Any one of those things could have happened to the Rams, but, uh, you know, they, they really played it, you know, close to the vest this offseason. I, I think they definitely deserve credit for that. Yeah, and really, I think that goes back to last year, too. I mean, yeah, I totally agree that they did that this year, but really that, that was the message, the tone, even from going back to, you know, OTAs of 2016 and the start of training camp in 2016 when it be, became pretty clear that, uh, sorry, 2017, not 2016, uh, the, the, uh, when it became clear that he wasn't going to show up last year. Uh, you know, they could have panicked or they could have, like you said, lashed out or started to make it acrimonious. Uh, they, there, there was a real sense of calm that at the time didn't make sense to me, to be quite frankly, because I kind of looked at it and thought, oh, my goodness, you, you're just coming off a 4-12 and season. You've just hired the youngest coach in NFL history. You know, this is going to be a complete disaster. And they really just kind of sat back and said, you know what? Well, we'll see how it plays out. We, we feel good about it. We're not going to, you know, lash out at Aaron or lash out at his, at his agents. And at the time, you kind of looked at that and went, wow, these guys are really, <laughs> you know, this is really going to work out well or it's really going to work out terribly. And in the end, it worked out well because, like you said, they, they didn't have that breakdown. They didn't have that public bickering from, from either side. And, and both sides kept it really quiet, uh, which was frustrating. And I know it was frustrating <laughs> to a lot of fans because, they you know, they wanted updates. They wanted to know what was going on, what was the number, and uh, such and such. But in the end, everybody benefited from the fact that it, that it did stay quiet and then that they were able to work behind the scenes and, and not have it become public and not have it become weird. Uh, so it took a long time, and uh, I know it felt like a long time for the fans, but but in the end, it, it got done exactly in the way that you would want it to get done. I think it felt like a long time for all of us. I think it was just yeah. a long time generally. <laughs> right. uh, but during that you know last few months of this, Les Need happened to also negotiate about a million deals. Uh, and just happened to rewrite the rules of the NFL offseason as we know it. So it's been quite a summer for, or at spring and summer for Les Snead. Uh, you can read about it on OCRegister.com also. Um, yeah, somebody wrote a really good feature on Les Snead, uh, so congrats on that, Ryan, and it, it's definitely worth a read to, to see how, how all this came together. Yeah, it's, it's a really, I, I feel like, you know, this could end up being like a 30 for 30 someday, you know, like how they how they managed to pull all this together. So uh, just just a fascinating offseason. I, I mentioned it on Twitter. My favorite detail from reporting that story was that Les Snead once owned multiple T-shirts that said YOLO on it. Right. Uh, you guys have that in common. I, oh, exactly. I know. Yeah, That's yeah. one thing that really drew me to the, the story was his <laughs> our mutual respect for for the Tao of YOLO. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, Rich, just coming out of that crazy offseason, we've talked about it a lot uh, on this podcast. What's 
where do you think the Rams look like they're strongest? Where have they improved the most? Uh, and where can they feel best just coming out of, you know, like I said, this wild off season? Yeah, I, I really like that secondary. And I know that's, you know, Captain Obvious to say that, but I just, I really like the way that it, that it fits together. Uh, obviously, you bring in Marcus Peters and Akeem Tlaib, and it's pretty clear that those two guys have clicked, uh, not only on the field, but off the field. Uh, the, you kind of, you wondered about that a little bit. You kind of bring two, you know, kind of alpha male cornerbacks in who are, who are used to being the, the top guy on their own team, and, and now you're kind of saying, well, you know, your co-number one's on this team, and, you know, no, nobody's really the, the top dog here, and, and uh, that, that could have presented some problems but those two guys really clicked together and and really seemed to understand each other uh on the field so i I think that's going to work well and then the thing that you know i I, i'm guilty of this too i find myself forgetting about nikel roby too who's just i mean he's that guy's a really really good corner uh especially in that role that, that he's being asked to play so you know don't sleep on that guy either that that's a really good cornerback um, in that defense, and and then I like the safeties too. I, I really liked John Johnson last year, uh, and the progress that, that he made uh, throughout the season. I, I thought as that season went on, he was the, the most improved player, just in the way that, that he went from game one to game sixteen, and uh, really established a role for for himself on that in that defense. Uh, and I like Lamarcus Joyner too, and I, I think he plays that that role uh, really well. So clearly you can see what the Rams are thinking here when uh, you talk about you know the pressure that they want to bring up front and then kind of turn it over to that secondary to make plays so uh, again you never know you know how it's going to look during games but but I really really like the way that they've uh, that they've revamped that secondary and, and really made it stronger I thought it was interesting just going through the some of the interviews with front office people that I did for the Sneed story hearing them all say that the secondary was the spot that they so clearly needed to improve. Now, you know, looking back at last season, that's, that wouldn't have been my first thought. I, I thought the secondary was solid. Um, I didn't think it was great, but, you know, that clearly was the one thing they wanted to focus most on. Uh, and I think to that point, I think Wade Phillips just realized that the, the group that they had last year just really didn't fit his scheme. So I, I'm really interested to see how that group works together this year, clearly with, with pieces that that Wade feels like are a much better fit than than the secondary last year. I, I think you're right about Nikel Roby Coleman. I think this is kind of the year we start to realize how important the slot corner is. Um, and, you know, he's he's definitely one of the better ones in the NFL, or at least he proved that last year. Um, now, I, we talked about the strongest. Now, where is the, the biggest problem spot at this point? Is it is it linebacker? I mean, is that really the obvious answer, or is there somewhere else that you know, maybe we're not talking about that the Rams should be concerned? No, I, I think that's still my concern, and uh, I, I still do wonder a little bit about the run defense. And, and I don't know, like, you, you talk about putting Donald and Sue up front, and you go, well, you know, how's anybody going to get through that? But I, I still do wonder, because, I mean, they had Aaron Donald there last year. They had a, they had a pretty good defensive front last year when you talk about, uh, you know, Donald and, and uh, Brockers and whoever else was in there at the time, Westbrooks a lot. Um, and then they still got beat quite a bit uh, on you know some some run plays and and those linebackers were not always up to the task of, of stopping it on the second level. Uh, now, as much as I like Alec Ogletree personally and, and think he's a quality player, 
uh, I think uh, he probably wasn't up to the task a lot of times in in, uh, in that area. So when you talk about putting a Corey Littleton in there, uh, does that make a difference? Maybe. Uh, but I, I still wonder about that. You know, uh, they, we've spent a lot, a lot of time talking about, oh, they're just going to murder quarterbacks. They're just going to be all over uh, the pass game. And, and I agree. I think that's absolutely true. Uh, but I'm still wondering um, how it's going to look, you know, maybe in, in uh, week two uh, against Arizona, David Johnson, when clearly they're going to try to run the ball uh, tons and tons. Um, so a little curious there uh, on, on defense. And then just on offense, uh, again, it's it's cross your fingers with the offensive line. Uh, they're they're real good. They're real happy with the with the young depth that they have there. The three guys that they drafted um, in in uh, April, so they, they feel good about that. But you know what? You're you're one sprained ankle or one tweaked knee away from from having a rookie left tackle or a rookie right tackle or a rookie center. Um, so that to me is is a little little bit scary, uh, just because uh, we know how how you know how many injuries do take place typically in the NFL. So uh, again, that's kind of a cross your fingers thing. You can't can't do anything about that other than just hope for the best and and put faith in your training staff. But uh, I do wonder what happens there if if the Rams get a little bit uh, less lucky with those injuries this year. Yeah, as impressive as Joe Nopum has been, in, you know, in the preseason, I I just can't foresee what would happen if Andrew Whitworth was out of the lineup. I mean, he he's just such a crucial element of of the entire scheme, really. Uh, I still think he was the biggest signing. He might be the biggest signing of the last two years <laughs> between all of the uh, you know huge moves that they made. But speaking of those huge moves, you know, there, there's been this kind of assumption that, and I've made it too. I made it in the article I wrote today, but. Uh, that the Super Bowl window for the Rams is open. They made all these signings. They've clearly gone for broke um, and are planning on on utilizing these last few years uh, while Jared Goff is still under a rookie deal. Um, from what you've talked to like with people in the front office, around the team, is that how they see foresee this? And do you feel pretty confident that in these next few years they they will win a Super Bowl? Or at least get, or at least get, feel. get to the point where they can. Yeah, I, I think they're there right now. I mean, I, I think they're in the, dis, the discussion. Certainly, um, you know, you look at that NFC, and and uh, sure, I, I, I put them right there in the discussion with the Philadelphia or Minnesota or New Orleans or Green Bay. I mean, there's there's some. It's a pretty conference. deep conference, as you it can see. It is an amazing <laughs> conference, and that's I mean, not to get off too far on a tangent, but I mean, I predicted them, you know, to go eleven and five, and you know, I've got some people kind of on me going, oh no, they're gonna go thirteen and three, blah blah, like you know, take a look at that schedule again and take a look at that conference. And, and, uh, it's, it's absolutely nothing against the Rams, but, uh, but that's an amazingly tough conference. I mean, uh, whoever comes out of that is, is just going to be a, a fantastic team. Uh, but, but more to your point, uh, yeah, I, I think the window is certainly open right now. Uh, it's still a very young team. I, I haven't looked at the, at the average ages yet, but I, I still tend to think they're probably in the bottom five in, in terms of, uh, average age. So, uh, it's, it's not a finished product. You still have a very young quarterback who's entering his second full season, uh, as a starter. So I, I certainly don't think they're, you know, they're, 
you know, firm in, in uh, Super Bowl contenders or that sort of thing. But I think they're right there. It certainly wouldn't surprise me at this point if they did, if they made it, or even if they won it. I don't, I don't think anybody would be shocked by that. But, yeah, I, I do think this is – I think that rookie quarterback contract is, is a big thing just because it allows you so much flexibility to do things. It, it does not mean that when they eventually have to sign Jared Goff to a second contract that the window is closed. I don't. I don't think that's necessarily true. Uh, but it, the, to have him on that on that rookie contract for five years just allows you that flexibility to do other things, to bring in that Indomitian Sue on a on a big one year contract, or to bring in a Keep to Leaves contract for a couple of years. Uh, those things get a little bit harder to do when you're paying your quarterback, you know, in in excess of twenty million dollars a year when you're already paying Aaron Donald and Todd Gurley and Brandon Cooks and everybody else. So it, it just it, it impacts your ability to do those other things. Uh, but right now, it, it's it's a young, talented offense. It's an improved defense. Uh, like I said, it certainly wouldn't shock me if they uh, if they made the Super Bowl this year. Les Snead was very uncomfortable when I brought up the the notion of a Super Bowl window. Uh, he was like <laughs> rustling around in his chair. He like really didn't want to use that word. <laughs> He's really trying to play it cool in that sense. But it's obvious to everyone that the Rams are going for it. I mean, you don't you know shell out three hundred million dollars in contracts and pull off six major trades uh, if that's not what you have in the back of your mind. But you're right, that that rookie quarterback window, it really makes all the difference. And I know, you know when I talked to Tony Pastores about this, he kept bringing up, you know, oh, well, Aaron Rodgers won a Super Bowl not on his rookie deal. The Saints uh, feel like they're in a Super Bowl window and they have a quarterback not on a rookie deal. It's true, but making that transition from where you when you go for it with a rookie quarterback to – how you adjust without one is usually pretty tough. I mean, we're seeing it happen with the Seahawks right now. I mean, they right. when they had Russell Wilson on a rookie deal, that he his contract was so cheap, being a third round rookie, that they could spend all kinds of money on their defense. Uh, the Rams are clearly doing that right now, but you know, by the twenty twenty season, you know, they're paying Jared Goff twenty one million dollars a year. The the uh, it gets a little tighter salary cap wise. So, and there's also one of the reasons that I know people were leery of them potentially committing so much money to Aaron Donald was that only four teams since 2011 have rostered a non quarterback worth more than 10% of their cap and still made the conference championship. So that hasn't happened very often. The Seahawks are one of those teams, but you know, just judging by the, the composition of this Rams roster, I don't know that you can judge them against the, against that past. Things are changing, and just having Jared Goff developing at the pace he is, it just seems like this window is lining up perfectly. I guess just just as they'd hoped it would. Yeah, it, it is. Yeah, probably even a little bit quicker. And I think that's what last year did. I've talked about this before. It's just I think it pressed the accelerator a little bit and said, "Oh, you know what? Hey, we we can win in in 2018. We don't have to wait till 2019." Or, or 2020 so I, I think it did open the window a little bit faster and i mean just just to kind of put a a period on your on your on your statement there um you know i, I think what it ha- what happens in the future is it, it doesn't mean you can't win and it doesn't mean you can't get good players but i, I think it, it narrows your it kind of makes the tightrope a little bit narrower in 
terms of some of those other moves that you make. You absolutely have to hit on those kind of mid-level guys. You absolutely have to hit on your draft picks uh, because you're relying on those guys much more. You just can't, can't go out and binge spend on an Adopt-in Sue or an Akeem Tlaib or somebody like that. You you have to be really, really smart with those $3 million, $4 million, $5 million guys. You have to be really, really smart with your draft picks uh, because when you know so much of your salary cap is is top heavy with a Goff and Gurley and Cooks and Donald, uh, you you can't miss. You can't miss on those mid roster guys uh, because those are the ones who are going to make or break uh, whether or not you can you can keep that window open. And that's especially true on the offensive line. I think. I mean, yeah. you look at the line that they have right now. I mean, they just locked up Rob Havenstein. I think that was important just so they have you know some semblance of of future consistency, but. Roger Saffold's contract is going to be coming up soon. Andrew Whitworth right. is pretty old as far as left tackles go, uh, right. in spite of being as as good as he is. But you know, with the f- draft picks that they have over these next few years, they're going to have to rebuild the entire offensive line. Um, so they they're off to a good start, it seems like with with Joe Nopum and and Allen and Demby. But uh, there's definitely a tightrope, like you said, that they're walking, uh, and I think on the offensive line, that's most obvious. But, yeah, you know, we've talked all this positivity about the Rams, and it's been a little much for me. So let's get let's get pessimistic, really quick. I I wrote, you know, last week <laughs> where things could go wrong uh, for the Rams for my column, and I, I think there are a few that are are worth mentioning, especially like you said, as people are calling for 13 or 14 wins. Um, and getting very excited about the 2018 season. And the first on that list is injuries. Uh, Now, knock on wood, I don't want to talk about this and jinx them, but the Rams have dealt with fewer injuries than any other team in the NFL over the last two years. and They're the first team since 2002 to do that in back-to-back seasons. Now, that's first of all, that's just crazy. I mean, we're talking about 15 years. Last season, their adjusted games loss was the lowest in the NFL over the past seven years. So if there's any concern to be had about Sean McVay, it's that we don't know how he would react to potentially losing players or key cornerstones of this roster. Like we mentioned before, the thought of losing Andrew Whitworth on that offensive line, I, I don't know where that would leave the entire Rams offense. Now, maybe that I'm not giving enough credit to Todd Gurley and, and Jared Goff, but it certainly seems to me like if any of those key players on offense go down, I'm not sure how I feel, you know, about the Rams' chances. Maybe not for the NFC West, but to go further than that. Yeah, I, I agree completely, I, and I do think um, people kind of got conditioned last year to thinking like, well, it's just going to always be this way. But you know, do yourself a favor, look around at some of those other NFL rosters and, and the guys who who get hurt. I mean, you, I mean, look at the Texans last year. year. They were four and twelve, and they're a potential. I mean, yeah. I could see them going to the Super Bowl this year. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So it's it's you you can't predict it, you can't plan for it. Hey, maybe you know, maybe maybe the Rams have the formula. Maybe their training staff is just so good, and you, we hear those guys get praised all the time. Reggie Scott, Ted Rath, 
that that group and and they do by all by all accounts do a fantastic job so hey maybe maybe the rams have figured something out to where you know you rest these guys and practice and that sort of thing Uh, but you just you can't account for that you can't account i mean it could happen off the field somebody could you know take a bad step off a curb and and sprain his ankle you know walking out of whole foods or something you know it's like that's the kind of things you can't account for and just just pure accidents and that sort of thing and the rams were extraordinarily lucky with that last year and, and you just can't count on that happening again and, and that's when you start looking at some of that young depth uh like you said if, if any of those offensive linemen get hurt they're putting in a rookie right now and at, at any position um so so that's a concern you know what happens if Jared goff gets hurt then everybody's talked a lot about John Mannion and the struggles that, that he's had in the in the uh, in the preseason and in training camp, uh, even on that defense, you know, there there's some injury concerns at linebackers still. Mark Barron uh, has a lot of injuries. He, he, I don't know how many he dealt with last year, three, maybe four. I don't know. Um, so that we knew of. <laughs> that we knew of, yeah, exactly. So. Um, so to me, yeah, that, and, and you know what, you can say that about any team, obviously it's not it, it, every team worries about injuries. Every team would be devastated if they, if they had a significant injury, but it just seems like you, you look at that Rams roster and there's so many rookies there's so many, uh, second year players that Sean McVay brought in, uh, or that got brought in after Sean McVay got hired that, uh, if they were to suffer uh, a key injury at one of those spots, then, you really do get concerned just about the depth that's there. Yeah, I mean, already they're replacing uh, one of their starting offensive linemen for two weeks. Um, right. So, you know, they're, they've already, they're already behind the pace that they set last year in terms of having their offensive linemen available. But, uh, right. you know, for that column, I went back and I watched the, the Falcons-Rams game, and I was almost stunned by how well that Falcons defense, I, and I knew I'd, yeah. I'd watched it, Live, I mean, I knew it had happened, but I was almost stunned by how they stifled Sean McVay's creativity and just all the things that the Rams did yeah. well. And I, I started thinking, like you were saying earlier, everyone is studying Sean McVay's offense right now. And yeah. I do wonder if there are some signs that potentially that ability to create space and to create yards after the catch is going to decline. I mean, before week uh-huh. 17 last year, the Rams were averaging almost seven yards after the catch, 6.82. That's the, according to ESPN, that's the highest yards after catch mark for any team going back to 2006. So we just have to assume, obviously that's a lot because of Todd Gurley, who had a historic year in terms of yards after catch. But we have to assume that more teams are going to shadow Gurley uh, in the screen game. They're going to be put a linebacker on him specifically. And I think that's just going to have to go down. Now we, we can trust that Sean McVay will adjust to that. And we know that Sean McVay knows that he can't continue that pace. But but I do wonder just how they're going to be able to adjust, given that that was such a major part of their game last year, just being able to get those yards after catch. Yeah, I think Brandon Cooks is going to have to be a big part of that. Just, uh, you know, the, the thought, I think the thought was a lot the same last year when they got Sammy Watkins. It was, oh, here's our here's our home run guy. You know, he, he's going to be the one who keeps the defense honest and take our shots down the field and connect every now and then. And then it just didn't happen because, uh, you know, fill in whatever answer you want to fill in. You know, Sammy came in late in training camp. He really didn't seem to have a rapport with Jared. How, you know, well acquainted was he with the offense? Uh 
regardless, whatever answer you want to fill in, it, that didn't work. I mean, Sammy was really good in the red zone. He was really good on those little, you know, slant, slant passes for touchdowns, great hands, uh, great strength, that sort of thing. But really didn't, I think the role that, that McVay envisioned for him never really kind of came to fruition. Um, so they did end up relying a lot on those, you know, five-yard screen passes or, or minus two screen passes that turned into 75-yard touchdowns. And I agree 100%. I don't think you can plan on that happening again. You can't certainly can't plan on it being your primary uh, plan of attack. I mean, that's the sort of thing that happens when you've kind of backed off the defense or you've made them start looking around to other things, and then you hit them with that girly screen pass. You, you can't kind of plan that to be uh, you know, your, your primary attack. And I, I agree a hundred percent. I went back, you know, you go back two weeks before that Atlanta game and that Tennessee game that they just, I mean, what a yeah. girly has like over 300 yards from scrimmage, I think. Um, and, and I looked at that and I thought, you know what, how much did the Rams put on tape in that game? Because they really wanted to win that game. It was for the division title. It was a huge, huge game. But I, I think Atlanta probably, you know, watched, I bet they watched that, that game, that tape for, you know, two weeks, just, yeah. just studied it over and over and over again. And you're right. They did things to that Rams offense that, that nobody else did last year. So, you know what? Oakland's been watching that game and Arizona's been watching that game and the Chargers have been watching that game. Um, so it's up to Sean to, to readjust. Somebody told me, I, I heard this and I, I didn't, I didn't get it confirmed because we haven't been talking to Sean the last couple of days, but somebody said he didn't run a single play in the preseason that he will run in the, in the regular season. Like really? it was all just vanilla basic, you know, five yard outs, you know, off tackle runs. And I believe that, and I'm sure you do too, knowing knowing Sean. Um, yeah. So I, I think we're going to see some different stuff. Uh, I, I have real confidence in that. Um, the question is whether that new stuff can can be as effective as as last year's stuff. So what you're saying is Sean McVay's all or all of Sean Mannion's struggles were just a diversion. <laughs> exactly. Got yeah, it. No, I mean we we joke about that, but. But yeah, you look at uh, not to get off on a, a Sean Mannion tangent, but yeah, the worst kind of tangent. <laughs> yeah, I mean that was not the Rams' offense either in personnel or in scheme that that Sean Mannion was running out there. So if you want to criticize some of the decisions that he made, fine. He he did make some some bad decisions in terms of actual throws, in terms of whatever you want to say. But but if you're if you're judging Sean Mannion or Brandon Allen based on you know the the way that they ran that offense then it's completely irrelevant because that that was not the Rams offense that they were running. The one quarterback that is relevant, Jared Goff, uh, had I a great you were say Luis Perez. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> we can all only hope that at some point yeah. Luis will get in the game. Uh, right. or maybe not. <laughs> but yeah. so Jared Goff had a great season last year. I think that's unequivocal. He ended up at the Pro Bowl. Uh, you know, really put behind him the rookie season where he struggled. Um, there's been questions about how much you want to credit Sean McVay for that alone or, or how much you credit Jared Goff just simply improving. And I think a lot of people were wondering, is Jared Goff really as good as we saw last season? And one thing or one spot in his game where I do think things are going to regress a little bit is, is how few interceptions he threw. I don't think we gave him yeah. enough credit for how careful he was 
he threw he threw uh, interceptions on only one and a half percent of his passes. That ranked top five in the NFL. Uh, that's just not going to happen again this season. Um, if you just consider the the lowest career interception rate in NFL history belongs to Aaron Rodgers at one point six percent. So Goff was currently ahead of, of that uh, of that pace set by Aaron Rodgers, best in NFL history. I just don't see that happening. I think it's pretty safe to say that you can count on him giving the ball away a little bit more this season. The question is, you know, can Sean McVay continue to put him in in positions where he's not throwing into tight windows? Because it seems like, as we saw in his rookie year, that was you know that was one of the parts of his games where he struggled. Yeah, a couple things on that. Yeah, I, I think it's, you know, when, you, when you're throwing the ball to your running back 64 times or whatever it was, I mean, that, that that's, helps. That's, that's one way to keep your interception rate down because uh, your, your chances of getting a, a screen pass picked off are, are far, far lower. So uh, I, I guess you could start there. But, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's the thing that impressed me with Jared is he just he, – he made really good decisions with the ball. There, there really weren't even – and very many other times where you kind of cringed like, ooh, that, that could have been an interception, you know, even even if it wasn't. Um, I, I thought he made a pretty good decisions um, with the ball. Uh, it will get tougher for him, absolutely. And, and I think you'll you'll see teams uh, try to get after him a little bit more. Um, I haven't, I don't have those, you know, but advanced stats in front of me, but there's the whole thing of, you know, clean pocket versus dirty pocket and, and, uh, maybe how he performed, uh, relative to, to other quarterbacks. So, so I'm sure other teams are studying that too and, and kind of figuring out ways how they can, how they can rattle, uh, Jared a little bit. But I, I, I feel pretty good about that. Honestly, I, I agree with you that certainly there, there's going to be a little bit of, of regression, uh, just naturally, but but I, I was really impressed last year with the way that, that Jared took care of the ball and, and didn't put it in risky situations. Uh, now again, the the, the risk reward factor there. May, maybe you're maybe you're comfortable with him taking a few more chances if if it means you know leading to big plays to Brandon Cooks, uh, that sort of thing. That there is a factor there of uh, you know maybe it's worth it to to take a risk every once in a while just to to get a big play. Um, so so maybe you see that a little bit more. Maybe you see them being a little more aggressive taking shots and, and maybe that leads to a couple more interceptions here or there uh, but but I felt pretty good um, you know about Jared and, and the way that he took care of the ball last year so curious to see um, as you are if, if he can keep that up this year Brandon Cooks really is the key I think that's yeah he opens yeah. up so much more in the offense like you said than Sammy Watkins does and he was so good I mean he was such a great deep threat with the Patriots last year I mean, I, I have to imagine Sean McVay has studied Josh McDaniel's offense pretty intensely, uh, and every every other offensive coordinator in the NFL's offense uh, this off season. But I, I think if they're able to integrate him into the offense like they think they can, uh, maybe Jared Goff doesn't experience that regression. I don't know, but uh, the one the one spot in this or the one factor for this team that is going to be a lot more difficult this year than last, and we talked about it a little bit earlier is the schedule it is murderer's row and i know you mentioned you uh you predicted 11 wins and i actually came in i I was undecided between 10 and 11 honestly because this schedule is very difficult i mean if if they get uh, to the end of the season and they have 13 wins this team is going to win the super bowl i'm convinced um they're the best team in the league at that point i I mean when you look at the schedule, anything that sticks out in particular as 
as just being the most difficult or most important part of that schedule? Well, I, I think it's a, in a way maybe a lot like last year. You know, a year ago, if you went back and listened to our podcast, we probably said, you know, if, if the Rams don't start 2-1, and one, uh, <laughs> this is going to be a really, really bad season, you know, yeah. like like in another 4-12. and 12 because Oh, how young we way- were. What's that? I said, oh, how young we were. Yeah, but well, because you looked at last year, and what was the start? The start was Indianapolis, uh, Washington, and I forget what the third game was, the 49ers, maybe? Um, anyway, it, it, was, uh, it was a start where you looked at it and thought, wow, this is going to get so much tougher, and if they don't start well, then then they're just gonna it's going to be a nightmare and of course they did start well they started three and one and that really kind of propelled them uh throughout the rest of the season and i feel similarly about this year but not in in a a different way i I don't think that things are going to fall apart if they if they don't start brilliantly but you look at you know the first two games particularly when you're talking about raiders and then arizona coming into the coliseum those are two you absolutely should be two and oh after that after those two games and then yeah depending on how feel about the chargers you know them coming into the coliseum in, in week three I, I tend to think that should be a win um also um and if they start three and oh then you're going okay feel pretty good about this you know they're, they're kind of right where they should be um uh, but from there it gets a lot tougher if you're talking about you know minnesota coming in uh on a thursday night you know i, I think they played buffalo the week before so they're not exactly going to be uh you know beaten up necessarily um and, and it gets so much tougher with the saints the the pack the packers the eagles um you know a couple having to go to mexico city for a game um so and, and then it eases up a little bit at the end when you talk about playing arizona and, and san francisco again but i, I think you, you want to feel good about those first three games and uh, if it's a situation where they're, uh, you know, two and one or, or even, you know, a nightmare situation, one and two, uh, then you're staring down the rest of that schedule going, uh oh, you know, this, this could get a little bit dicey. Um, so I, I think those first, certainly the first two games and, and maybe even the Charger game, too, uh, very, very important to, to setting up the rest of that season. Yeah, I hate to fall into the trap of saying they have to win those first two games, but they kind of have to win those first two games. I- yeah. I don't know. I, I don't know if you're giving enough credit to the Chargers. They are a very good team, and I think they're they're a tough matchup just for the Rams yeah. generally. So I, I don't know. That, that Vikings game, like you said, I don't like that game at all. Uh, that's, right. a game, that's a game I would actually pick them to lose. Uh, but from there, it really is just a, a extended road trip that I'm not sure how they'll handle. I mean, you look at Three road games immediately. Then you come home for the Packers. Then back on the road for the C- or for the Saints. Then home for the Seahawks. Then you're not home for another three weeks. Right. So on either side of that 10-week stretch, uh, you're not playing at all in L.A. So you know, other than other than you racking up uh, rewards points on on the various airlines, I mean, I, I don't see that's a that's a brutal stretch. It's, I, I'm not sure what they need to do to get through that uh, successfully, but you know, you really can't lose the games that you're supposed to win at the Broncos, at the Seahawks, uh, at home against the Seahawks. I mean, those Seahawks games are definitely going right. to uh, become interesting games just given their juxtaposition in that in that schedule. 
Yeah, and, and the thing that it probably was underrated about Sean McVay last year, there were a lot of things that were, you know, obviously put in, in high, uh, you know, giving him uh, a lot of credit for it. But uh, one thing might have been underrated is that he kept them from kind of falling down. Like every every game that they lost, they bounced back from. You know, there weren't back to back losses. There weren't this prolonged kind of malaise that uh, that happened. You know, even early in the season, they played that that Seattle game last year that was that was pretty dreadful as i recall i think it was 16 to 10 and a few turnovers in there and and you kind of thought oh boy you know this this could be the one that kind of sends them spiraling and and then they bounce back the very next week and and had a really good game so i I think that's a a strength of of sean and i think that'll continue to be very important this year because there will be uh guaranteed there there will be a stretch in the season where it gets really tough and they they might even lose back-to-back games or something like that and and uh, he's going to have to keep those guys together and, and keep them focused and, and not have them you know, start to worry or start bickering or anything like that. And uh, I think he did a really good job of that last year. Uh, I was really impressed by that. And uh, I think it's going to be important again because, like you said, that, that mid-season stretch, that mid-to-late season stretch is, is – I, I, can't, I can't believe that there's a, a tougher stretch in, in the NFL than, than the, ones that, the one that the Rams face right there. Uh, the interesting part I feel like of their schedule is that the divisional games, which were once, you know, some of the toughest games on their schedule, are now must-win games because the NFC West does not look good. Uh, it might be the worst division in the NFC uh, in a in a conference like we said that is super deep. So in that sense, the Rams are are a little bit fortunate, I guess. But are we? Are we overestimating the ease of which the Rams uh, can win this division, or uh, or are they really the, that just that much better than the three other teams that are that are in it? Yeah, I, I think they should be. Um, a year from now, maybe a different story. Uh, you know, I think San Francisco uh, certainly is a team on the rise. Um, Arizona's in a, in a little bit of flux right now, but stuff I'm reading about them is. Uh, I think people are a little more optimistic about them now than maybe they were uh, a couple months ago. Definitely. So maybe maybe they're uh, they're maybe a little bit even ahead of, of where uh, we thought they were. And then Seattle's kind of a wild card, I, I think. And, and I do this too. I think we give Seattle a lot of respect just because of, of what they've done over the last ten years or so. And and they always seem to find a way. And and they're always strong. You, you never think of a Seattle team as being a pushover in in any scenario. So I, I would expect that that'll be. Uh, uh, you know, a tough game, especially given the way that the Rams, you know, swaddled those guys in Seattle last at the end of last year. I can't imagine uh, that left a real good taste in Pete Carroll's mouth. Um, so, yeah, to, to think that they're going to walk over those teams, I, I don't think is 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 fair to some of those other teams. Um, but clearly, the Rams, uh, they're, they're, they're the class of that division. I don't, I don't think there's any question about that. And, and you're right; that puts a lot of pressure on a team to think. You know, I, I don't know what other what other division you, where you could say, oh, the, the division games are the ones that you're you're counting on to win. Uh, that, that would very rarely happen, I would think. It certainly doesn't happen like in the Chargers division. Um, so, so that that is a little bit weird to think like you the games that you're kind of checking off as automatic victories are the ones in your division. But you know, given that schedule and, and given that the talent that the Rams have. Um, if, if you are thinking about a 12 or 13 win season, then yeah, you're, you're kind of going to have to go six and zero uh, in the NFC West. I think it's not impossible that nine and seven could win the NFC West this season, just given how good yeah. the rest of the NFC is. Granted, 
I think the Rams will do a little bit better than nine and seven. So I do think they'll, you know, pretty easily win the division unless there were to be some sort of injury or some sort of setback that that would put them in a different place. But, uh, Rich, before we wrap it up, a few quick questions. Uh, let's think big picture. I know you said 11 and five is your schedule, uh, estimate but what's your prediction overall for the rams this season playoffs and all that how far can they get i i, I put them in the nfc title game and uh, I, I think it'll happen I, I think that playoff experience last year everybody talked about oh gosh they didn't play the starters the week before i don't think that's what it was i, I think it was just they got on that big stage almost none of them had had been there before and you know i don't want to say they panicked that's not fair to these guys they're professionals but i think it was a real learning experience and i think if they're back in that same situation this year that you you get a different response you, you get a different game out of the rams um so i see them getting there uh i still like minnesota uh to to get there so i'm sticking with that but but I do feel good about this Rams season, of course, with that asterisk of, you know, you never you never know what an injury can do. But uh, I think last year's experience of learning, of winning, uh, and then bringing in some, some veterans this year, I, I think can be enough to push them uh, to a playoff win or two. Just stealing my predictions. I, I feel like I'm yeah. just copying you now. That's exactly <laughs> what I was going to say. Uh, I think this is a 10 or 11 win team. I think when it comes to the NFC playoffs, assuming they get there, it's going to be so based on matchups. It's so hard to predict who's going to come out of that group. I think the Vikings, the Saints, the Eagles, the Falcons, the Rams, I mean, all of those teams, I think, could beat any, could beat each other at any time. You could throw in the Panthers to that group. Uh, so Or the Packers. Didn't even mention them. So it totally depends, I think, on the matchups. Uh, granted, with the Rams, that's where Sean McVay happens to be at his best. So... That definitely helps. But I agree with you. I, I do think this team can get the, the, to the conference title game. I do think the Vikings are just their worst nightmare uh, in that yeah. in that situation. Granted, he, you think about Kirk Cousins and, and Sean McVay's experience with him. Maybe that helps the Rams. Um, I don't know. It, it's, it's a tough scenario to play out just because I, I do think that Vikings team is the most complete in the NFL. I do think it, they're the safest pick to go to the Super Bowl right now. That's who I'm going to be writing about today, actually, uh, for my Super Bowl prediction column. Um, but the Rams, I, I really do think this team has a legitimate chance. It's just going to take, you know, a, a few breakout performances to just get over that hump, which you know, with Sean McVay, it, it's certainly possible. Um, speaking of those breakout performances, is there anyone on this roster? who you feel like or will make a bigger impact maybe than we're expecting? Um, uh, you know, I, I think you, you look at Michael Brockers as one, like you said, who's, uh, who's, uh, you know, not getting a lot of attention just because of those other two guys. But I mean, that, that's a really good player. I, I think those linebackers can, can be underrated. I'm, I'm really curious to see what Corey Littleton does. He's being asked to put, he's being put in a, a position he's never played before being given a lot of responsibility. Uh, I kind of see him as, as an important hinge uh, to that defense and, and just not only in the run stopping, but in, in getting everybody lined up and, and keeping everything together. So, 
So um, I've been really impressed with Corey just in the, in the limited uh, time that he played. Obviously, he was he was very very good on special teams. Uh, looks to be a really smart player, really really good technical player. Um, so you would think that that would translate well into this new role, but uh, it's a very difficult role, and it, it's a lot of responsibility. So uh, I'm, I'm keeping a real close eye on him uh, as a guy who could who could be an impact player. I find what they're trying to do with Dominic Easley to be very yeah. fascinating. Uh, yeah. I'm curious to see how it'll work out because we're talking about a guy who's a first-round talent. When he's been healthy, he's been one of the Rams' best pass rushers uh, right. from the interior. So the idea, though, of, of putting a guy who was a 4-3 defensive tackle uh, as a outside linebacker in a 3-4 is just so interesting to me. But... I, I don't really feel comfortable questioning anything Wade Phillips does at this point. So I have to think he knows something we don't. And you know maybe by the end of the season, Dominique Easley is this standout outside linebacker. I, would, I wouldn't put it past him. Right. Yeah, yeah. And why not? I mean, they're, they're, they have such depth up front now that, that he would just kind of get wasted if you just kind of put him in the rotation uh, with those other guys. So, hey, they, they think he has the skill set, and it, it certainly seems like he has the potential to at least. He looks like he's dropped a little bit of weight to me. Yeah. It's hard to tell because he wasn't around you know, very much last year when, when he was rehabbing. So I, th- I think that could help, too, when you talk about, you know, oh, he used to be a 4-3 defensive tackle. Well, he's, you know, he doesn't necessarily look like one that, that you would traditionally uh, think of. So I, I think maybe the body type has, has improved a little bit for that position, and the skill set is there. Now, he has a history of knee problems, so you never know uh, what can happen there when, when you talk about a guy you know, rushing the passer and trying to turn the corner uh, and that sort of thing. But, uh, yeah, I agree. I think it's very intriguing, and, and all things considered, uh, given the depth at those uh, respective positions, I, I think it's a good idea. All right, last but not least, give me a bold prediction for one Ram this season. Or or a set of Rams, I suppose. Sure, I, I'm looking. I'm looking at the other side, Ryan. I'm looking at Samson Abicom, and okay. uh, he was a guy that I liked last year. He is still a raw guy. You know, he's not a finished product. There's there's still some work to do in his technique. But the one thing he can do is just he has laser beams on the on the quarterback's chest. And uh, we saw it last year when when he was able to get in and, and filled in a lot for Connor Barwin. And, and I really think that that if that defensive front works the way that it's supposed to, the way that they think it's going to, they can just kind of turn Samson loose. And uh, maybe you know maybe they get caught sometimes because he's a little too aggressive or you know tries to go a little too hard on on plays. But uh, I really like the skill set. I, I really like his ability to get to the quarterback, and, and I think he can be a disruptive player. And, uh, and maybe a surprise standout on this team. All right, I got two predictions for you. One is about Brandon Cooks, who, in terms of stats, I've actually uh, been a bit bearish on. Just I, I just don't know that he's going to end up being the number one uh, receiver we think of in the sense of like fantasy stats. But right. I do think that I'm going to I'm going to call my shot here and say that he leads the NFL in yards per reception mm-hmm. this year. I think they're going to use him deep a lot. Uh, now, whether that works is, is kind of up to Jared Goff and Brandon Cooks, but uh, I like that what I saw from that connection already. I think he'll be you know just as, as successful as they're hoping. My second prediction, I say Indomitian Sue and Aaron Donald reach 25 sacks together. Um, now, I, I think that probably limits your boy Samson Ebucom. Uh, but the two of them together, I just... I'm just enamored with that. I can't get over it. 
Aaron Donald had 11 sacks, uh, you know, tied his career high last year, 11 sacks in 14 games. He's going to get two extra games this year. He's got Indomitian Sue next to him. I don't know. I just see 25 sacks in their future. I, I feel pretty good about it. I, I tell you what, this is going to be something to behold because, you know, chances are, let's be honest, I mean, chances are Sue probably isn't going to be back next year just given the, the, yeah. the you know, financial structure and, and everything else. So this is going to be, you know, you, you talk about windows and such. Uh this is going to be something to behold. And I, I don't know exactly how it's going to look, but like you said, you know, somebody asked Wade Phillips not long ago if he'd ever had a pair like that. And, and he was going even way back to his Eagles days, you know, talking about some guys. So it, it's been a long time since, since even Wade Phillips has seen anything close to this. So I, I think it's going to be fascinating. I think it's going to be really, really fun to watch, even if you're not a, a fan of the Rams, just to see how those two guys uh, work together. And really, uh, if you're a fan of football, to see how how offenses try to try to scheme against those guys so uh very bold prediction ryan and uh, we'll, maybe we'll have a tracker every week to see whether you're on uh whether you're on pace or not or maybe not i don't know maybe, maybe we don't want to put it under the microscope too much <laughs> <laughs> i'm just noticing that indomitian sue's career high is, is 10 sacks and that was in his rookie season so i i still i'll stand by it but okay. i am uh, getting a little nervous also realizing that Apparently, Indomitian Sue's nickname is Chief, according Jeez. to Pro Football Reference. I love these nicknames on Pro Football yeah. Reference. It's going to be one of my investigative pieces you this season, like I think. You have a nickname of the week. I think that's what you should do. Just, I, you're uh, right. Just highlight a nickname every week. I like that, actually. Yeah. I may have to do that. Okay. <laughs> uh, well, Rich, I think we've covered it all. Obviously, it's going to be a pretty fascinating season. Uh, and to follow along with that season, you should definitely follow both of us on Twitter at Rich underscore Hammond and at Ryan underscore Karchi. We both did the underscore. I like it. Yes. Uh, but yeah, stick with us all season. We'll have this podcast hopefully every Monday after the game. We'll unveil some new features, uh, maybe have you guys call in to, to give your gripes or your compliments about Sean McVay. Uh, but until then, thanks for listening. <laughs>